from Asia Pacific Arts, this is Bullet Train, a podcast about Asian pop culture. I'm Ada Singh, and on this episode, we're talking about lip syncing. In 2014, Shah Rukh Khan came to America for a concert tour. Shah Rukh Khan, as you probably know, is one of the biggest Indian actors. And to give you a sense of his popularity, recent reports have estimated that he's the second richest actor in the world. And he does these concert tours every so often around Asia, but it had been over 10 years since he had last come to America, so it was a big deal. It was called the Slam Tour, though if you're familiar with these song and dance extravaganzas, you'll know that that's a pretty modest name. Past Shah Rukh Khan shows have been called From India With Love, The Awesome Foursome, and my favorite, Temptation Reloaded. He was there with the fellow stars of his movie Happy New Year. So Brian Hu and I, and if you listen to this podcast, you'll recognize Brian as our resident bullet train podcast expert. We knew we had to go. Slight obstacle, though. He was only going to six cities, and L.A. wasn't one of them. So we did what we had to do. We made the six-hour drive to San Jose, California. My daughter was four months old at the time, and I took her with us. Luckily, my parents are in the Bay Area, so they could watch her. And Brian literally drove up with us, saw the concert, and flew back the next morning for work. You might be thinking, you guys went through all that trouble to watch some Indian superstars sing the songs to their upcoming film? And the answer is no. We did all this to watch some Indian superstars lip sync to songs in their upcoming film. You might think that sounds crazy, but you know who wouldn't think we were crazy? Every single South Asian family in Northern California that was also there that night, with their entire families. Multiple generations dressed to the nines, some even brought their young kids in strollers. I didn't realize I could bring a baby, otherwise I might have thought about it. We call it a concert, but fans of Bollywood musicals know that the stars of the film don't sing their own songs. They do the acting and the dancing while lip-syncing to songs pre-recorded by playback singers. For Americans watching Bollywood for the first time, this can come across as campy, but it's absolutely sincere. And it's not only sincere, it's really powerful stuff. You hear the songs that are lip-synced by Shah Rukh Khan, and you're not only transported into the film, but it also allows you to lose yourself in an entire fantasy world of his movies that he's been starring in for decades. Through these songs, you feel his heartbreak, his desires, from deep within his heart and his soul. Nowadays, though, if you think about lip syncing, you probably think of a little show called Lip Sync Battle. I am here, and we are about to have a lip sync battle for the ages. This is Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show in 2013. We'll take turns lip syncing sections of well-known songs, each one of us trying to lip sync better than the other guys. Jimmy Fallon is known for having his celebrity guests play games on his late night show. And the idea of having a lip sync battle was inspired by a game that actors John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, and Stephen Merchant created. You'll know this artist as Beyonce Z. <laughs> so here, Stephen Merchant kicked off the battle with his take on Beyonce's single lady while Jimmy Fallon did AHA's Take On Me. But it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt who ultimately stole the show with a rousing rendition of Nicki Minaj's Super Bass. 
It has 55 million views on YouTube. Since then, there have been lip sync battles by everyone from Emma Stone to Ellen DeGeneres to Tom Cruise. And because of its popularity, in April 2015, it became its own half-hour show on Spike TV, hosted by LL Cool J and Christy Teigen. The Spike TV show is also a battle between two celebrities, but it takes it to the next level. Costumes, backup singers, props, surprise guests, the works. The LA Times called Lip Sync Battle the TV show where viral videos are made. And this has taken Hollywood by storm. A good song makes you really bold and silly and free in a lot of ways that other things can't. That's Christine Minji Chang, a Lip Sync Battle fan and the executive director of Collaboration. That's Collaboration with a K, an Asian American talent showcase that takes place all around the nation. You get to really see silly sides of people. You know, you totally think about people who sing in the shower when you're singing in your car and you're just kind of like letting it all out. In fact, she liked lip sync battles so much that last year she decided to gather some of her Asian American celebrity friends to stage a lip sync battle at their Collaboration Los Angeles live show. And because I'm a lip sync battle fan too, and I was curious about how you prepare for a lip sync battle, I went backstage before the show to talk to the contestants. So we had Jenny Yang of Disoriented Comedy. This is my first time doing a lip sync battle, but I feel like I've been training for it all my life. Naomi Ko, who you might recognize from a film called Dear White People. I think this is a really great way for me to pretend I'm a pop star. And Jimmy O. Yang from HBO's Silicon Valley. Have I ever lip synced? Maybe in my car, but not in front of an audience. So this might be very embarrassing. They are totally enthusiastic about it. Jenny and Naomi took it a little bit more seriously. They're like, oh my God, I got to go get a costume. And I remember Naomi was just stressing about it. She's like, this is not a joke, Minji. So I was like, dang, girl, you're taking this really seriously. Whereas Jimmy did not take things as seriously. This was apparent when he did not show up to the rehearsal. I caught up with him later in the stairwell, and I asked him why he didn't make it. Why do I need to show up for a rehearsal for lip sync? I don't know. She called me, she was like, can you come at 5 o'clock to do a sound check? I'm like, it's lip syncing. Why do I need sound check for lip syncing? That's like, are you, are you doing like a comedy bit right now? So I was like, no, I'm not showing up at 5 o'clock. Uh, if I can show up at 6, we we'll just compromise. So I showed up at 6, and I still think I showed up too early. You have to admit, it's easy to see where he's coming from. In America, we don't take lip-syncing very seriously. Sure, on lip-sync battle, it's all fun and games. But in real life, we not only don't respect lip-syncing, we shame people who are caught lip-syncing. One of the most famous examples of this happened in 1990 with a duo Milli Vanilli. This track of their hit song, Girl You Know It's True, skipped while they were lip-syncing a live show. And only a year after their debut album, it was revealed that they didn't sing the songs at all. Millie Vanilli's producer had recruited them for their model looks and dance skills and hired other singers to record the album. Long story short, they had to give back their Grammy for Best New Artist, and over 25 lawsuits were filed, which resulted in refunds for anyone who attended their concerts or bought any of their albums. This scandal made such a mark on pop culture that just last year, during the Meek Mill and Drake feud, the cover of Meek Mill's diss track, where he accuses Drake of not writing his own raps, was a photoshopped image of Drake's face on a member of Millie Vanilli's body, complete with dreadlocks, a bright blue 80s outfit, and an unearned Grammy. Nowadays, even if someone is caught not singing live, even if they're lip-syncing to their own vocals, they're shamed for it. 
In 2013, when news leaked that Beyonce pre-recorded the national anthem for her performance at Obama's inauguration and lip-synced it, the internet went crazy. Less than 24 hours after Beyonce's soaring rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner nearly stole the show at the inauguration, some of that praise has turned to backlash. But people forget that Hollywood also has a long history of lip-syncing. This goes all the way back to the 1927 musical The Jazz Singer, when filmmakers were transitioning from silent films to making the first talkies. And inevitably, there were actors who didn't have the greatest voices. This was fictionalized in the classic 1952 musical Singing in the Rain, starring Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds. She'll be back at the curtain singing and I'll be out in front doing like in the picture. That's right. Lena, played by Gene Hagen, is a huge silent film star with a grating voice. And the producers make Kathy, played by Debbie Reynolds, sing her song behind the curtain while Lena lip syncs on stage. But it doesn't go as planned. And the whole fun about Singing in the Rain that's Brian Hu, our producer who I mentioned earlier in the show. He's the artistic director of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. Is how much fun are you going to have in order to hide that? This is inauthentic. The difference is, unlike in America, in India, lip syncing was never something they tried to hide. It is such a long tradition. The big stars in India, if you watch all of their films, it was always the same dubbing artists for the same actors. That's Richie Mehta, the director of films like Amal, I'll Follow You Down, and Siddharth. You would have, for example, a guy named Kishore Kumar was Amitabh Bachchan's singer. Um, and everyone knew Kishore Kumar was a superstar. So dubbing artists, they get a lot of celebrity status in India. They really respect Because it isn't just, a, oh my god, he dubbed, you know, it's a scandal. It wasn't that. Everyone knows it. The idea of synchronous sound, which is you're recording sound while you are acting. Certain countries where that never really took on. That means they dubbed everything. And it was kind of a necessity in a place like Hong Kong where everybody spoke different dialects and everything was going to be dubbed anyways because you have to export a Mandarin version for Taiwan and a Cantonese version for Hong Kong. Even now when it comes to watching foreign films, some countries like the U.S. use subtitles, while other countries like France, Germany, Italy, and many parts of Latin America and Asia still dub. And India has even more of a need for this because they have over 22 official languages, not to mention the hundreds of unofficial languages and they have 20 different regional film industries. There are actors who are working in Hindi language who will do films in other industries, like Tamil films. They don't speak a word of Tamil, and they just, they mutter. Like, I know one guy who would just say, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, as his lines. And if you say one, two, three, four, it kind of looks like anything. And these actors will be like, yeah, as long as I know the point of the scene, and I know the basic emotions, somebody will dub it. But there's not a lot of finessing, necessarily. Um, nobody cares. People understand if the words they hear don't precisely match the lips, that's just part of movie making. In the West, they wouldn't stand it if an actor wasn't singing themselves. It's part of the performance. And even now when you have Hollywood musicals now coming out, um, you know, they'll make a big deal. Ewan McGregor sang his own songs, and Nicole Kidman sang her own songs. It's part of the marketing, it's part of the deal. That was never the case in India because that tradition of musical came from something else. It came from a tradition of poetry, it came out of folk music. If you look at some of the films in the 40s and 50s and 60s, they had these uh, musical song numbers but it was just one or two people talking. Whether it's a guy by himself on a soliloquy or you know, a man and a woman having a romantic scene and they're singing it. So it didn't come out of a tradition of stage whatsoever. I think they've ended up in the same place now because then it became, okay, well, we're modernizing now. We need to make more spectacle and spectacle and spectacle. It's about the dance as well and how, you know, how much of a showman that the actor can be and all that stuff. So it's become broadway -y. In fact, I think they've trumped Broadway in their own game, in a way. And these differing ideas of what is or can be an authentic performance has a lot to do with what we expect from our stars. In the U.S., unlike in Hong Kong or, or India, 
the way we valorize stars in the U.S. has so much to do with loving a person, not necessarily a package or an amalgamation of different kind of elements. It's a person that has transcended the secular world into being a star. We want to believe into that fantasy. And I guess Hollywood doesn't want to break that illusion by admitting to us that that person didn't do this. So, so another famous example is Audrey Hepburn for My Fair Lady. She wanted to do her own songs. And they got Marnie Nixon, like the dubbing artist of her time. And Marnie Nixon sang everybody's songs. Every like female vocalist in any of the famous musicals in the 60s. It's definitely hidden from view. Even though these songs go on to become like huge soundtrack hits, Marnie Nixon never got credit for that. She never became a star as a, as a result. But back to Audrey Hepburn. Even though My Fair Lady won the Oscar that year, Audrey Hepburn didn't get nominated for Best Actress. And the rumor was that it was because people found out she didn't do her own singing. And instead, the person who won Best Actress at the Oscars that year was Julie Andrews from Mary Poppins, who famously sings her own songs in Mary Poppins. And more importantly, was the original singer of My Fair Lady on Broadway. So it was kind of like a, a slap in the face of Audrey Hepburn, which sounds like such a cruel thing. Anyone would slap Audrey Hepburn, but like to put a certain kind of inauthenticity in its place. The voice is so personal. It's part of who we are. You can't change that. That's Lucy Alimo. She's a musician and researcher who wrote a paper titled Unsung Heroes, a Cross-Cultural Analysis of Lip-Syncing in American and Indian Film, which talks about these different ideologies around lip-syncing. And that's why I think it's such a touchy issue. But as Lucy points out, it's weird because we Americans almost make it a moral issue. And we feel like we're on a moral high ground. The idea that we respect the talent and the artistry so much that we would never stand for that kind of artifice. When in reality, we love the artifice. And we know that it takes a large team to put together a song or a film. We know that there's editing technology. We know that there's auto-tune. In the same way that we know that actors wear makeup and there's lighting and they're photoshopped. So it's not like we're being fooled. But we take it a step further by not only indulging in the artifice, but getting mad when it's not real. Which brings us back to Beyonce because we should always bring things back to Beyonce. A week after she was caught lip syncing, she had a press conference, and there she not only explained herself. I did not have time to rehearse with the orchestra. It was about the president and the inauguration. She did a pitch-perfect acapella version of the national anthem on the spot to prove herself, which did shut up her haters. But at the same time, you realize, sometimes these lip sync scandals are about questioning the artist's talent. But nobody's really questioning Beyonce's talent. It's more that if you watch her inauguration performance, partway through, she pulls her earpiece out. And the initial reaction was, wow, look at Beyonce. Even when she's having sound issues, she manages to be flawless. Which made it that much more of a betrayal when people realize that she never needed the earpiece in the first place if she was lip syncing the whole time. It all boils down to what Brian calls the artist's pact of authenticity with the audience. There's definitely layers of fakery involved. And it's at what level do we buy the authenticity? I think, I think that's the ultimate question. Think about like everyone knows Britney Spears is lip syncing. And then someone like Ashley Simpson, whose career was destroyed basically because of lip syncing and how someone like Britney can get away with it because she aims for such a low level authenticity. The whole thing's based on some kind of fakery. And, and I think the audience understands this. Whereas Ashley Simpson was trying to be a different kind of star. The authenticity pact that she has in the audience is a little bit higher. And therefore, she was completely undone when the lip-syncing fiasco happened. Yeah, I totally forgot about Ashley Simpson. We all do. <laughs> I really do feel that when you're watching one of the big Hollywood films, a star does not earn their prestige or celebrity by just showing up. That's director Richie Mehta again. You know, if Harrison Ford does three or four bombs in a row, all of a sudden, you know, 
doesn't matter the last 40 years has been the greatest. People are like, eh, you know, what have you done for me lately? Right? They, they have to continually, continually earn it. And it's got to be good and it's got to be different. And you've got to be impressed. And it takes one or two movies before you're out. I think it's a little bit different in, in India. On the main, the kind of really mainstream, the big, big stars like Shah Rukh Khan, they really just do the same thing every single time. And in terms of the live show, they just, they just kind of show up and people go crazy. And I mean, they can dance. They surely can dance. But really, I don't think people care as long as you're just there. And again, I'm not saying these other guys in India don't work hard. They, they work like dogs every day, all day, really. But anyone who is critical about film will always say the movie is absolute nonsense. And yet they'll go and they'll pay and they'll love it and they enjoy it and this and that. So it's just like, okay, well, these movies are eminently watchable and fun. And that's kind of all they need to be. There's a lot of critics of popular music out there saying, you know, they don't actually have a really good voice. That's Lucy again. Some people will be like, oh, so-and-so so talented, this pop singer, but they don't think they're talented in terms of having a great voice, but they think they're talented because they are so entertained by them and they're so drawn to them for some reason because it's the package, like their looks, the way they present themselves on stage, you know, the voice is only a small part of that whole entertainment package. And that's what Bollywood fans really understand and accept that it's a package, and that the star power is the driving force of the entertainment package. And that's not something to take for granted. Especially in a place like India, where if you can imagine, stars are way more iconic than they are here. When Western publications write about someone like Shah Rukh Khan, they often try to say he's India's Tom Cruise, when really it's more like he's George Clooney, Jimmy Fallon, Will Smith, and George Lucas combined. Because he's not just an actor. Sure, he has guaranteed box office draw, and he wins awards all the time. And he's a leading man who can do romance, comedy, drama, and action all in one movie. But he also hosts talk shows, and he's the face of many major brands. But he also produces his own films. He has his own visual effects studio. He even owns a cricket team. So people realize that his talent isn't just acting. His talent is being a superstar. It's the whole package. And it's respected because it takes a lot of work, and not everyone can pull it off. So back to Lip Sync Battle. Suddenly, Hollywood celebrities get a little taste of that world, where you don't have to be a good singer to move people with music. And in some ways, it's still just for fun. But if you have any desire to prove yourself as an all-around entertainer, it's also an opportunity to show what you have to bring to the table. What else is part of your entertainment package? And if you're like me, and you've watched literally all of them, you can tell that a lot of people treat it like a one-note joke. And it's funny, but it's only really funny for the first five or 10 seconds. Once the surprise of the song is revealed, there's not that much more to the performance. But if you study those who have really been able to rise to the occasion, you start to see what really makes a memorable lip syncing performance. And I couldn't help but think, what can we learn from Bollywood stars who have been successfully entertaining us with lip syncing performances for over 80 years? So get ready, we're about to take lip sync battle even more seriously after the break. If you like Bullet Train, check out our online magazine, Asia Pacific Arts, where we bring you the most recent news about Asian pop culture, whether it be K-pop, Bollywood, YouTube stars, video games, or anything in between. Check us out at asiapacificarts.usc.edu. We're back and we're talking about lip sync battle. It's worth noting that there's a predecessor for lip sync battling in America. The show RuPaul's Drag Race has been doing a lip-sync battle for years, eight seasons on Logo TV to be exact. 
This is a reality competition that documents RuPaul and his search for the next drag superstar. And in each elimination round, the two weakest contestants have to lip sync for their lives. The format is a little different, and we'll revisit this. But let's go back to lip sync battle first. So hypothetically, let's pretend that you've signed up to participate in lip sync battle. And I doubt that that many celebrities will be listening to this podcast, but they should. It should be their new goal in life to get on lip sync battle and blow it out of the water. And not just American celebrities. International adaptations of lip sync battle have been popping up from Canada, the UK, and Poland to China, Indonesia, and the Philippines. This is a worldwide phenomenon that will only go away if these celebrity contestants can't consistently deliver unique performances and people get bored. And we don't want that to happen. So you can think of me not as a coach, but as a data collector. And based on my research and conversations I've had for this podcast, I've broken it down to a three-step guide. All these steps are necessary, but the catch is each step is harder than the last to master. Number one, the element of surprise. So really think about what makes a lip sync battle performance entertaining. I think so much of this is based on race. The ones that stand out to me are the ones where white performers are doing rap songs. It's the voice that does not match the image. That's the gag. So it's either a black sound to a white performer or a female voice in a male performer or vice versa. That's funny too, but it's, it's always some kind of like the voice does not match the face. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson doing Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, John Legend doing MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This, Ellen DeGeneres doing Rihanna's Bitch Better Have My Money. The song choice is extremely important. My mind's telling me no. It's got to be such a surprisingly delightful choice that people think it's hilarious even before they see the performance. But my body, my body's telling me yeah. And that's what the contestants at Collaboration's Lip Sync Battle caught on to really quickly. Jimmy O. Yang did R. Kelly's Bump and Grind. Naomi Ko channeled Ariana Grande's Break Free. And Jenny Yang tackled Sia's Chandelier. I'll let Jenny Yang explain step two. What is your strategy? My strategy is to escalate the drama. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> You'll see. Okay. You'll see. I would see. And for those of you who didn't see our performance, let me paint you a picture. Please give it up for Jenny Yang. When she's introduced, she runs out and she's wearing a black overcoat and hood. And within the first few seconds, she flings it all off, revealing a nude leotard and blonde wig. Like the girl in the Chandelier music video. But here's the key. She doesn't rest there. Every few seconds, there's a new surprise. Whether it's a dramatic but familiar dance move, a lamp prop, a backup dancer that comes running out from behind the curtain. She's crafted the performance so that you feel like you can't take your eyes off of her for a second. Otherwise, you'll miss something. And that's much harder to do on the TV show when it's a full two minutes. So the stakes just keep getting higher and higher. And the thing is, you don't need to be that over the top to win lip sync battle. But it's often not enough to just have a good concept and do some cool choreography. The more memorable performers understand that you need to escalate the stakes. Which brings us to number three. 100% commitment. You got to put everything on the line. 100% commitment. And that's easy to say, but what does that mean and how do you convey it? Let's go back to Richie Mehta. Richie, in addition to being a filmmaker, recently gained some fame in front of the camera with the Canadian TV show Bollywood Star, which is like the American Idol for people who dream of acting in Bollywood. There have been two seasons of Bollywood Star, and Richie is one of the judges and main mentor. He's kind of the Simon Cowell because he's really critical, except for he's really nice. And it's so good. The way it works is that there's two components to the audition. There's the dance audition and the acting audition. 
And even though there isn't a specific test for lip syncing, it's an important unspoken part of the dance audition. Because if you're performing a dance number in Bollywood, you're lip syncing to the song at the same time. So I asked him, what makes a good lip syncing performance in Bollywood? performance has to be so exact that you don't care if it's lip sync because it's so spot on that you're still in the scene. So not like what most people on Lip Sync Battle are doing. You're talking about the exact opposite. Somebody doing a hip-hop song that's not at all necessarily their, their forte or their culture, but it's funny. You're trying to find the actor that perfectly, perfectly matches the tone of the song, the emotional resonance, what it's trying to achieve in character, in the moment. They have to know the song inside out. And if the film works... The, the film I always refer to is Lagan. That's the Amir Khan film from 2001. Nominated for an Oscar, full-on musical, and fully dubbed songs. And it works so well. The actors would just break out in the song and do it, but they're totally in character. And that's when I realized, in Bollywood, it doesn't make much sense to ask what makes a good lip-syncer, because it's so ingrained in the performance. They don't think of it as something separate. You might as well just ask what makes a good actor. That's exactly it. It's the same answer. And if it's a flamboyant scene, they're flamboyant. If it's a subtle, quiet scene, they're subtle and quiet. And it's just there. It's what makes a good actor. And it's part of their repertoire. So going back to this idea of 100% commitment. In Lip Sync Battle, we assume that the 100% commitment is to the joke. To the point where a lot of people ham it up so much that it's like they're winking at us. They want us to know that they're in on the gag because they would never really dare to lip sync unless it was a joke. Nobody watches Lip Sync Battle and, and says, man, like Paul Rudd needs to be in more movies where he's lip syncing. It doesn't translate like that. Whereas in Bollywood, the 100% commitment is to the character and the story. So much that what they lose in authenticity by not being the actual voice of the song is completely made up for in the authenticity of performance. That's why these Bollywood lip-syncing concerts are so beloved. We're not there to watch Shah Rukh Khan sing. We're there to watch Shah Rukh Khan in character as the star. And he 100% delivers in that performance. It's not like he was the headliner that showed up in the last 30 minutes. He's the first one to appear, and he's basically the host. He introduces all his actor friends, and when he's on stage telling stories, you feel like he's talking directly to you. And when he lip-syncs, you feel all the emotions in the same way you'd feel it if it was coming from the singer. You see this in RuPaul's Drag Race, too. In their lip-sync battle, the two drag queens are actually on stage at the same time, lip-syncing to the same song. So it's a little bit more of an exaggerated performance, in the sense that they have to one-up each other, but their emotions are also completely earnest. I mean, their path to being crowned the next drag superstar is on the line. So back to lip-sync battle. I know it seems contradictory, like, how can you be 100% committed to an over-the-top ridiculous gag while still being 100% committed to being completely believable? But that's the holy grail. The best of the best somehow managed to do both. And if you can do it, let's just put it this way. Two out of the three inventors of the game got bested by their competition. John Krasinski and Emily Blunt lost their lip-sync battle competitions. How do you lose a game that you created? Let's go back to the John Krasinski versus Anna Kendrick battle. John Krasinski does Proud Mary, the Tina Turner version. It's a classic voice doesn't match the face choice. And it's great, it's fun. He's in a suit, halfway through he rips the suit off and reveals a silver flapper dress and shimmies his way to the end of the song. And the thing is, if he was against anyone else, he might have won. But then Anna Kendrick comes out and she's performing the Jennifer Lopez Iggy Azalea song, Big Booty. Within 10 seconds, John Krasinski knows that he's been beat. I'm dead. Because the difference is, 
When you watch John Krasinski's performance, we're watching John Krasinski in a dress. Whereas when Anna Kendrick comes out, she looks like a pop star. She dances like a pop star. She does some choreography that seems like it could be for her own version of a big Bollywood live show. Even though the concept is ridiculous, you're watching her disappear into the role of a pop star. And I know this sounds crazy, but somehow she convinces you that she even has a big booty. Same with the Emily Blunt versus Anne Hathaway battle. When Anne Hathaway comes out doing her rendition of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, it's like she's not even in Lip Sync Battle anymore. She's playing the role of a Broadway star in a dramatic musical number who's going through a devastating breakup. And when she says that she came in like a wrecking ball, never hit so hard in love, all she wanted to do was break your walls, and all you ever did was wreck her, you believe her. But I want to talk about the most recent Tatum takeover episode between Channing Tatum and his wife, Jenna Dewan Tatum, which you've very likely seen because it's only been four months and already has 30 million views on YouTube. Probably because it basically reduced the crowd to hysterics after Channing performed Beyonce's Run the World in full drag and the Queen Bee herself made a surprise appearance at the end. But I'm here to talk about Jenna's performance. Technically, they tied and I love Channing Tatum. But I'm going to argue that if you have a surprise Beyonce appearance in your lip sync battle performance and you tie with someone who does not have a surprise Beyonce appearance, you basically lost. <laughs> Jenna Dewan Tatum decided to lip sync to Genuine's Pony, which is Channing Tatum's signature song in Magic Mike. And this is the perfect example of all three steps coming together. Number one, the element of surprise. The idea that she would dare do the male stripper dance that her own husband made famous is so crazy. The stakes are already so high, like how could she do it better than he did? And if you break down that performance, it's the perfect example of escalating the stakes further and further. Whether it's the costuming and at some point she reveals some fake male stripper abs, or hitting all the signature moves, but doing flips that are so much more impressive than his flips because she's so much smaller than him. To having some shirtless men drag Channing onto the stage with her so you can actually see his reaction in real time as he's going, oh my god, I can't believe my wife is doing this dance better than I did. To number three, 100% commitment. This goes back to what Brian was saying earlier. Where in Hollywood, we don't lip sync to movies. So when you watch a lip sync battle performance, you might think it's funny. But it doesn't translate in a way where you want to see them do more lip syncing in movies. But I'd argue, I do want to see her do more lip syncing. And it's because, just like in a Bollywood musical number, she made that performance about a character and a story. So I don't know if she can sing or not, but I don't really care. Her lip syncing doesn't take me out of the moment for a second. In fact, it's been 10 years since the Tatums met in the original Step Up movie. And if they want to reunite for Step Up 6, turn it into a full-blown musical, and have them lip sync the songs, I don't know about you, but I'd pay to see that. And that, to me, is the real beauty of lip sync battle. Like Bollywood, at its very best, it creates a fantasy world that expands your ideas of what is possible when you combine music and your favorite superstars. Tell us what you think. What is your favorite lip sync battle performance and why? And who would your dream lip sync battle competition be between? I've thought about this a lot, and I think mine would either be Randall Park versus Ken Jeong or John Cho versus Cal Penn. Basically, a lip sync battle fresh off the boat versus Dr. Ken edition and a lip sync battle Harold and Kumar edition. What do you think? Tweet it to lip sync battle at spike lsb, and who knows, maybe one day it'll happen. 
Richie's latest project is a documentary called India in a Day, which tells a story of one day in India through footage crowdsourced by people around the country. It's part of a series including Britain in a Day and Japan in a Day, and it'll be released later this year. Also, go to collaboration.org for updates on the next collaboration show near you. Christine Minji Chang also co-hosts their weekly podcast called Collabcast with Marvin Yue, and you should check that out too. This podcast is produced by me, Craig Steubing, and Brian Hu. I edited it. Our theme song is by Purple Glitter, and additional music is composed by Gene Chen. Bullet Train is brought to you by Asia Pacific Art, an online magazine published by the USC-US-China Institute under the Annenberg School for Communications and Journalism. Special thanks to Clayton Doobie, Catherine Gao, and Venus Jones. Check us out at bullettrainpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And find us on Twitter if you, like me, think maybe we should give Ashley Simpson another shot at this. I mean, she was lip-syncing to herself. And actually, Thad Morvan of Millie Vanilli is currently working on an album with John Davis, one of the original singers of Millie Vanilli, and they're calling themselves Face Meets Voice. So say what you want about Hollywood's unreasonable expectation of stars, but one thing we do know, Hollywood loves a comeback. See you at the next stop on Bullet Train.